Wolfing Down Food Science. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Wolfing Down Food Science, and welcome to the last podcast of season two. Yay! <laughs> it's been such a journey. All about the crunchy and the creamy and all the different structures. Although we did have one correction to make. Um, in episode two, we talked about graham crackers and we mistakenly called them shortbreads. And they're not really shortbread. A shortbread has a whole lot more fat in it. So typically shortbread is one part sugar, two parts butter and three to four parts flour, wheat flour particularly. Um, and graham crackers don't quite have that much um, butter in them, but they do have a short texture. So they're not shortbread, but they do have that crumbly texture, um, which we often call short. So just a correction because we all make mistakes. And that was a great uh, comment that we received from a listener uh, about this shortbread uh, clarification. So we figured this is a great opportunity to introduce our Wolfing Down Food Science email address, which all of our listeners can feel free to send in comments and questions from their listening experience. So we would love to receive your feedback to wolfingdownfoodscience at gmail.com. Keith, are you having breakfast? <laughs> I can feel the texture. <laughs> it well, sounds really crunchy. <laughs> I'm considering a very important question. What's crunchier, a carrot or a glass of milk? Mm. Oh, man, that's a hard one. Kind of a I weird know, it's question. a weird question. It's a weird <laughs> question, but, but so is texture um, in terms of trying to figure this out. So, you know, it makes sense that Foods with a lot of water in them should be soggy, right? Mm -hmm. And those that have very little should be crunchy, but that's not always the way it is, you know? So to me, it's it's just really strange to think carrots and milk have about the same amount of water, about 90% water. Uh, yet the carrot, we would probably call a solid and the milk we would call a liquid. So, you know, to the food scientists, it's, it's also interesting that as carrots lose water, they would get softer. So, you know, it it kind of raises a, a dilemma, you know, I in 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 your mind thinking about like, okay, well, why is this the case? So very counterintuitive. It, it is, it is very counterintuitive. So it it really comes down to the microstructure, kind of the little components that build a carrot versus the little components that build milk. And so carrots, obviously, are plants and plant cells really are made up of something like semi-flexible balloons. So those those cells, when they are full of water and all pressing against one another, create very crisp, strong textures. You can think of like just a bunch of water balloons pressing against one another, creating these strong structures. But when they lose that water, and there's less pressure, those water balloons, those cellular balloons then can sag 
just kind of like your house plant when you forget to water it for a week. You know, it kind of droops. So milk, though, is pretty liquidy. And, you know, <laughs> it would make a very different sound if you were consuming milk. <laughs> it would. I think actually I need some milk to get rid of these the carrots here. <laughs> still hanging around in my mouth. They seem pretty solid. Um, they seem pretty solid. So, you know, the reason milk is so liquidy is first because it's mostly water. It is 90 percent water. But there are all kinds of other structures swimming around in the water. So you have sugar, lactose uh, in milk, and it's dissolved in there. And so is a protein set of proteins called whey proteins. Um, but but then, of course, most of the protein is traveling around in these little spheres called micelles. So calcium and other minerals travel along with them. And this makes what we call a colloid. So there's a lot of systems that we deal with in food where there are a lot of uh, little suspended microstructures in a liquid and milk is one of those so this is a colloid so we have all these little suspended particles and then if there's any fat in there you have those fat spheres made tinier and tinier by that process of homogenization that most of our milk will go through and then that they're wrapped in protein so they don't separate again or they don't float to the top and so you have all these different microstructures, sugars and proteins and micelles and fat, and they can easily swim past one another. And so we can pour a glass of milk, unlike a glass of raw carrots, we can pour <laughs> a glass of milk. But, you know, as we learned from the dairy texture episode, all you need to do is make a network and you can go from this um, swimmy structure of milk to solids and semi-solids like cheese and yogurt. So, so yes, uh, raw carrots are crunchy and a glass of milk is not, but it's, it's really not about water content. It's, it's all about networking, right? Definitely. I think if you, the analogy of balloons was really good when, if you think about all of these really thick walled balloons pressed up against each other, when you try to separate them with a big set of teeth, <laughs> <laughs> coming in, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to get a, a very different breakdown of the food in your mouth compared to something that you pour and it doesn't retain its shape. So it flows like milk and it doesn't have all of the that structure that's interacting, at least in, in liquid milk. It doesn't. We start making cheese and it gets a little different. <laughs> So is the fundamental difference between these two structures, because they have such high similarities when it comes to water content and possibly ingredients, but what is the main difference between their structures? So carrots, I think, are a plant, like you said. So do they have a cell wall? Is that's what creating the shell for the, the water balloons that milk isn't having? Right. Yeah. So that cell wall is is really that kind of idea of a water balloon and one cell wall is attached to another. So you kind of fill all of those up and uh, and you end up with this with this uh, water balloon. It, it kind of reminds me of of uh, way back when my cousins and I were having a water balloon fight. Right. We were outside. And uh, and so most of the time this goes really well. So those water balloons, they. Um, you know, you fill them up and you throw them. And as soon as you hit someone with it, it just breaks 
and everything's good. But one time, for whatever reason, <laughs> I filled up a water balloon and I threw it at my cousin and it just must have been a very tough balloon because it did not break. It like bounced off. Slapped and bounced <laughs> off of my cousin and 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 it it was it was looked like a pretty painful experience. I felt pretty bad. <laughs> about it. But it it just, you know, it kind of drives home that idea of if you have a pretty tough balloon, there's some pretty there's a pretty rigid structure there, even though it's mostly water, you know, just with that little uh, little film around it. And mm-hmm. if you put a bunch of those together, you know, then you're going to get a pretty a pretty rigid structure, which, you know, carrots, celery and all those other kind of things would have. Potentially the water balloon actually had less water and was harder to break. So maybe that's why when carrots lose their crunch, they become flimsier and not as crunchy, not as like explosive of <laughs> that juice inside the structure. Yeah, that's a great analogy that when it's the pressure inside the balloon is more because of the water um, or the cell, water inside the cell, the pressure is greater, um, then you're going to get a, a much more, like you said, explosive kind of failure. <laughs> and, and if it's not, it might hurt your cousin. <laughs> yes. And in case, in case it hasn't become clear over the last two seasons, we are obsessed with water. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and, and texture is no exception, but we can make textures the other way. We can make textures by getting rid of water. So, there are many textures that we develop by creating something. For instance, we could create a, a bread dough and then bake that to intentionally get rid of not all, but uh, much of the water. And that produces a very different set of structures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it depends on what's in there. So if you have, for the shortbread example, if you have a, a lot of fat in there, it really disrupts the, the structure and makes it crumbly. Um, if you have a lot of protein that's developed a structure, then it it breaks very differently um, and fractures into to geometric pieces versus this crumbly little bitty ball kind of structure. So the, the different components, different uh, macronutrients or macromolecules that are there make a big difference in um, how they're interacting with each other and the texture that they're yielding. Yeah, absolutely. If you get if you get big, long structures, fibers, proteins and things like that, uh, you can almost think of them as as like rebar in mm-hmm. in, uh, a, you know, concrete building where they're they're really providing this flexible matrix and everything holds together very nicely. So they they can provide some, some flexible structure or they can provide some more rigid structure. But yeah, you have those big molecules and then there's a bunch of small ones that you can get to do really cool things. Um, you know, if you take away enough water from a sugar solution, you're going to start getting these crunchy little crystals. <laughs> um, not going to make a continuous structure, but, you know, kind of little things. Um, but but yeah, you can uh, just by changing the the dimensions, you know, if you take a dough that's uh, fairly uh, fairly similar to what you would do to make to make bread, and take that and and stretch it out very thin and and heat it, 
then you're going to get something that is that is going to be more like a pita or or something of that nature. So you can get very different structures, very different levels of crunch or chew, depending mm-hmm. on uh, what you do with that original, say, batter or dough. Um, Have you guys ever made pitas from scratch? Have you guys ever done that? It's so cool to watch them bake because they inflate like balloons. Like it's flat when you put it in the oven and then it hits that high heat and the moisture starts turning into steam. And it just because you have all that protein there that's stretchy, it stretches out and makes this giant balloon shape that deflates as soon as you bring it out of the heat and it cools down to room temperature. That's why you have like that two piece of our two pieces in pita that you can stuff full of yummy goodness in sandwiches and things. Yes, we yeah. We have a local Lebanese restaurant that makes their own pitas, and you can oh, see that delicious. process happening while you're waiting in line. It's really cool to see mm. all those pitas in the background kind of ballooning up inside the <laughs> oven. Um, and it, it it really is is very similar to what you see at a tortilla uh, factory in, in Mexico or, or, or anywhere they're making tortillas. It's the same thing. You get this little balloon that forms. And then once uh, once it's removed from heat, it just completely flattens back out. Um, is that um, just flour tortillas? Do corn tortillas do that? Oh, yes. Corn tortillas do that do as they? well. Yeah. Yeah. They're not quite as flexible, but uh-huh. they still will do that kind of balloon thing and then and then go back down to a flat, flat uh, uh, kind of a configuration once you take Very the heat. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So is the water having anything to do with the fluffiness of the bread or is it pretty much how we orient these structures and spread them out and expose them to heat and air and other environmental factors? Hmm. That's a good question. I think you have to have enough moisture in your dough to allow the gluten to form and gluten is the protein and flour that gives it that stretch like a balloon. Um, So you have to have that there and you have to have it developed enough that it's strong enough to stretch like that. Um, But there's a lot of other factors that go into that. If you have um, fat in your bread, so if you've got butter in there or or oils in there, it doesn't get the same amount of fluff because the the fat is interacting with the proteins and inhibiting that a little bit. Um, If you make whole wheat flour bread instead of white wheat flour bread, um, the volume is decreased as well because the the brand that's in the whole wheat flour interferes with that gluten formation and structure. Um, so there's there's a lot of components that go into it, but mostly interactions between those. Sounds like there. that's why everyone makes a different uh, loaf of bread every time. I feel like mm-hmm. one way that you make or one restaurant's loaf of bread is completely different than another restaurant's because their techniques are so intricate and different has a huge impact yeah definitely it just reminds me of our uh season opener when we were talking about are you uh team chewy or team Mm. crunchy and i'm I'm definitely still team chewy uh just (laughs) check with check with our co-hosts or are you all still team crunchy oh yes okay i'm team everything (laughs) All right. Yeah. I think we're all not team slimy, though. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no slimy. No. no slimy. Yeah. Anti-slimy. Well, 
Well, you know, I think I think with the with the chewy side of things that very often we're trying to introduce uh, plasticizers. So the mm-hmm. idea is and not plastic, by the way. So just to make sure all the <laughs> podcast listeners out there, we're not putting plastic in food. But when we say plasticizer, we mean basically something that softens or makes the makes the structure more flexible. Mm-hmm. So we can think of, uh, you know, foods that are, you know, mainly uh, mainly carbohydrates, a little bit of water, like, uh, you know, gummy worms or gummy bears. They're very flexible, but that little bit of uh, water in there that is is making that gel makes those plastic, makes them bendable and, and chewy and things like that. So you can kind of get plastic that way, or you can go in another direction and just add enough fat to just soften everything up. So so you can do that with water, kind of making a, a gel, or you can do it with fat and just sort of soften everything up to the point where it's it's quite um, it's quite flexible as well. So I, I just keep coming back to full fat caramel, you know, things yes. like that. That's that's a really nice application of that fat based flexibility. Well, and it, it's a great um, it's a great example, too, of water as a plasticizer because toffee is very similar, right? It has the cream in it and the fat in it. And it is slim, similar to caramel, but caramel is much more deformable and stretchy. Um, and toffee is going to break like a glass, right? So the caramel has more uh, water in it and you can pull it and stretch it more because of that water acting like a plasticizer um, as compared to very, very little water. Um, like it's like 2% water maybe in toffee. Um, and so you just don't have that flexibility there. So similar structures as far as macronutrients that are there, but just having that difference in amount of water is huge. <laughs> water calls the shots. <laughs> yes. Definitely yes. influential. <laughs> it, literally, it literally does. Yeah, I was I was thinking while we're on the topic of plasticizers. So so plasticizers are are, are usually small tiny molecules that that kind of get in the way of bigger structures Mm -hmm. you know fats or or water um or what have you but the other side of it is um again we're not putting plastic in our food but just just to say that a lot of what we're making with these big structures is analogous to plastic we're Mm -hmm. taking little things and joining them together in big long chains and we're making something that is really a polymer. It's a it's it's a uh, a big long chain of material that we make from very small components, and uh, that's very similar to what you would do to make a, a plastic. So that's why we have, for instance, you know, you can have a bread bowl and it holds soup pretty nicely. I think <laughs> um, it's a delicious yeah. meal. <laughs> yes. So there's all kinds of really cool things that you can do with food that actually you can make a container out of, the, out of that food pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just made myself hungry. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of the last bread bowl with clam chowder that I had and that was amazing. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Now I'm hungry. There's lots of good fall foods that you can make like that. Pumpkins that hold a bunch of cheese fondue that you bake all at once. That's really yummy, too. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen those. I think I think 
I think on a Zoom call, you were in the <laughs> middle of creating those. Um, <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that neither Teresa nor I had an opportunity to try those. That was. No. Well, we have another fall season and pumpkins are, are definitely being harvested. So we should do that. <laughs> Sounds like Maybe good. by our fireside chats, we can. It's true. We can get some pumpkin fondue going yeah yeah for sure that'll be awesome maybe this is a good time to talk about those uh those uh food science fireside chats what do you think we have a great segment coming up while we're having our off time uh you know the holiday seasons are coming up it's getting a little cold and crunchy outside so we (laughs) thought we wanted to introduce the food science fireside chats we're going to be addressing some questions that we've gotten from both listeners and from some students that we've interacted with all taking food science classes and kind of hearing what the audience is wondering and having any food science questions. I am always so lucky because I get to ask all the questions um, in the podcast and we always dive into really great conversations. So I think this is going to be a great time for maybe the listeners to get an opportunity to get a question in too. Definitely. We've got some curious people out there and they have great questions. So, so again, if you have a question, feel free to uh, send it to us at wolfingdownfoodscience at gmail.com and we'll be happy to address it. We're excited to, to, to hear about those questions and, uh, of course, get corrected if correction is, uh, is, is needed. So please do send those corrections in if you, uh, if you think one is, is helpful. And then, of course, we will uh, we'll make sure to put that question and, uh, and our uh, corrected response on to the next podcast. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this uh, season on texture. I guess the only thing left is to say, what are we going to do next season? What's <laughs> season three about? We always come with a flavorful punch. So I think. Um, we got to dive into food science and nutrition. What do you totally guys agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So there's uh, there's there's just a great connection between uh, the the food science that we've discussed over the last two seasons and nutrition. So how does that food that uh, that we are producing or that food that we are um, that we are utilizing in some way how does that affect our health and how does the combination of those foods in the form of our diet affect our health altogether. So we're really excited to uh, to start up season three next year, and that will be dealing with those questions of the connections between food science and nutrition. I'm excited. I get to learn more. <laughs> yeah, it should be a good time. All right. Well. I, I just wanted to say at the end of this season, uh, Teresa and Paige, I really appreciate um, the work that's gone into uh, to the texture season. I think it's been a lot of fun and look forward to uh, look forward to these fireside chats and to season three next year. Me as well. Definitely. 
If you'd like to find out more about our podcast, Wolfing Down Food Science, please check us out at NCSU's Food Bioprocessing and Nutrition Science website, where you can find our show notes, reference links, and more. You can find out more about NC State, our department, and FS201, the amazing course that has brought us all together, on our website as well. Please don't forget to subscribe to Wolfing Down Food Science wherever you stream your podcasts like Spotify and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Wolfing Down Food Science. See you next time.